Go ahead and get your Bibles out. This morning we're going to be in the book of Matthew, starting in Matthew chapter 25. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there should be a white paperback Bible in the pew in front of you. Go ahead and get that one. It's a bit long, so you're going to want to follow along. All right, Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be more, more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast to the worthless servant into the outer darkness." In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I bet you, I bet you never thought you'd hear Pink Floyd in church, right? <laughs> Welcome to Westside. We are glad that you are here today. And I bet you can't guess uh, what we're going to be talking about today, right? Um, so what we did uh, this past month is we sort of did a vision uh, series and looked at who we are as a church And one of those statements was to be a generous church, but in order to do that, we have to talk about an issue at hand. And um, for me, I've been here for for five years, and I have never, and this is sort of a confession, um, I have never done an entire series about money. I've never done it Uh, because of, and if it's your first time here today, I'm so sorry, right? (laughs) Like you walked in, you had anxiety, like all these dollar signs, and you're like, is this money? Oh, no, it's a Bible reading plan, like just all types of stuff. Um, because of that reason, I was so worried what, what people would think because oftentimes money and church 
A lot of controversy there. A lot of controversy. And, and in reality, what we're going to learn about is that that's an error on our part as the church. Um, I'll never forget really the first lesson that I ever got on money. Um, it was in my freshman year of high school social studies class. The teacher held up a $20 bill and asked, why is this worth $20? And so we just kind of, uh, uh, and then someone was like, isn't it about gold? And he goes, oh, the gold standard. And so then we learned about that and how we changed. And then basically in a roundabout way, he said, uh, that's worth 20 bucks because the government says so, okay? And um, when I think about that lesson, I didn't learn that lesson in church. I learned it somewhere else. And we want Westside to be such a place where, listen, we are answering the questions that you are asking. This is a, I mean, money's a real issue. And so we need to learn about that, but there's a problem. I remember learning about money in church. And that was a problem too, right? Because I remember the statement being, you know, it's a great, it's a 90-10 split. 90% of it's all yours, and all God ever wants is just that little 10%. Then I remember reading my Bible being like, I think he might want a little more than that, right? So there's actually two great errors that we've believed in the church when it comes to money and our study of God. The first one's real famous. It's, it's a prosperity theology, Right? So um, this is where you see the guy on TV with his wife who looked like she lost a paintball fight and they're asking for money and all types of stuff. And it's always money, it's always money, it's always money. But, you know, there's a tension there because we're going to learn that, that the Bible talks about money. But the problem with that is, is if you are sick or if you are not financially well off, then you are outside of God's will for your life. And there's some sort of sin that has crept in and, hey, listen, look up here. That is a damnable lie from the pit of hell. That money is not God and money is not the only tangible sign of God's blessing in your life, okay? That is not true. Turn that off your TV, Kenneth Copeland, all those, I don't have a problem naming none of them, okay? That stuff is garbage and it's not true. But there's another problem, too, and it's called poverty theology. So now, any talk of money or anything like that is bad, is bad, because money is bad. Money is bad, so therefore, if you have any of it, if you've worked hard, if you own anything nice or any of that, God should be convicting you of all of those things because money is bad. That's not true either, okay? So we always want to live in the tension here at Westside. So it's not this idea of prosperity theology, and it's not this idea of poverty theology. That's wrong thinking. Well, what's, what's biblical thinking? What does the Bible say about it? And what's interesting is, as I studied this week, I was um, just amazed. Listen to some of these stats. 2,500 plus Bible verses speak directly about money. Over 2,500 verses in your Bible speak directly about money and possessions. How about this? One out of every 10 verses in the New Testament is about money. 
When you average it out, one out of every 10 verses in the New Testament talks about money, possessions, or something along those lines. But I know what you're saying, but, but Jason, Jesus... It's all about Jesus, bro. He just sang Jesus, Jesus, right? Jesus loves the beach boys. He wears hemp sandals, right? It's all peace, love, man. Jesus never did. Well, actually, um, 30 parables Jesus told, and we're in one today. 16 out of the 30 parables that Jesus tells are directly about money. And actually, if you summarize all of Jesus' entire teaching in the Gospels, 25% of everything that Jesus taught was about money. So listen, look up here. If this preacher went along with Jesus' preaching calendar, I would preach directly about money once a month. So let's take a church vote. You guys want to vote, right? <laughs> so why, why is this so, so important? Why is this a big deal? Well, we're going to talk about that. But before we do that, we want to give you guys some resources about this, Okay. Because we're in this for the month of October. We are on it. The Bible talks about it. You deal with it every day. We are addressing an issue of life here. The first resource that you got today is um, some of you guys thought you hit the jackpot when you came in, right? We actually had to check with the printer to make sure we were not committing a federal crime um, with this. I had three people text me, are you guys giving away money at your church, right? Then you turn it over and you're sadly disappointed, right? Um, It's a 31-day Bible reading plan. And so we want you, and listen, I love the tension. I looked at it this morning with that Benjamin Franklin laying on top of my Bible. It's just like a tension, right? And then you got a green highlighter. And what we want you to do in the month of October is to supplement your Bible reading plan. This isn't everything the Bible says about money. You probably could have found a lot better verses about it, but here's what we want you to do. We want you to follow this Bible reading plan, and when you read that verse, highlight that thing with the green highlighter. Just to let you know that the Bible's speaking about this issue. Be asking God about this series. Um, Secondly, a great resource um, is a book by Randy Alcorn called Managing God's Money. That's where we get our title from this series. Probably the best book that I have ever read when it comes to Bible and finances. Here's what you will not find in that book, a budget. Here's why. Everybody in this room right now wants me to answer the question and balance your budget for you. And I'm just going to disappoint you. I'm not going to do that. Because what I want us to understand first is a theology of money. What does the Bible say about this? What does God say about money? I don't want to talk about, you know, your your Sally Mae loans and all of that. We're going to get to all of those things. But first and foremost, I want to give you resources that show you how God views your money. So Managing God's Money by Randy Alcorn is fantastic. Another book is called Redeeming Money by Paul David Tripp. That's a very short read. It's fantastic. That is a gospel-centered book. And this is something we're going to learn about. This is such a, he takes theology and then addresses it with your money. It's fantastic. And then obviously, I would point you to Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. Listen to his radio show. Um, The way that he blasts people on his radio show is so great, man. They'll call in and be like, well, we bought this, this, and this. And he'll go, well, you're dumb. Any other question? Right. And so there's great, if you want budget stuff, there's free PDFs, there's all of that stuff on there. That's great. But what we want to get to is 
This idea of managing God's money is what does God say about it first? How does God view money? And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your wallet. I'm not kidding. Grab your wallet or grab your purse. Grab it, grab it, grab it. I don't have my wallet, but I got my debit card up here, all right? Grab it. Grab that plastic. Grab that cash. If you're offended, welcome to Westside. We are so glad that you're here, right? Grab it. I want you to hold that in your right hand, okay? Got that in your right hand? Cool. Now I want you to grab your Bible. I want you to hold that in your left hand. Got my Bible in my left hand. Got my money in my right hand, okay? Look up here. There is no separation between these two. Now, here's what I mean. You say that you believe this, but the evidence of that is how you behave with this. That's the big idea. What we believe about the gospel is revealed in how you behave with money. That's it. That's why it's so emotional. What we believe about the gospel is seen in how we behave with our money. That's why it becomes so emotional. It becomes borderline offensive because you can't finagle that. You can say that you believe a lot of things about the goodness and kindness of God. But, well, I know what you're saying. Well, Jason, you got any Bible to back that up? Um, I do. I'm glad you asked. Jesus actually says it this way. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I mean, all I did was paraphrase what Jesus said. That's a good sermon, right? I mean, Jesus says, where where your treasure is, where's your money? That's where your heart's at. So we're going to learn about all types of people that encounter Jesus, a rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Sell your stuff. He walked away sad. Why? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What I believe about the gospel is revealed in how I behave with money. And so today in Matthew chapter 25 is one of Jesus's probably most intense and offensive parables, right? Wasn't it funny at the very end of the reading of the text, it said, cast them into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and you were forced to say, thanks be to God, right? (laughs) It was like, right? So um, this is a parable, right? And um, actually, we we have to understand the context of the parable. Jesus is actually in what is called the Olivet Discourse. So when when you jump ahead earlier in a chapter, in verse 3 of Matthew 24, it says this, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And then Jesus tells a couple parables. So listen, this is how important money is and how God views it, is Jesus is telling stories about the end times. Like the end, not the game or the movie with the Avengers and the whole thing, right? This is like the end times. This is when Jesus returns, comes back, and he tells a series of parables, and one of them he uses to illustrate the point involves Money, money. Now, we could spend a ton of time on this parable. There are multiple applications to this, but I'm going to make two main points today. But here's the context of the parable that was read to you, okay? There's a master, right? 
There's this guy, the man, it says. For it will be, verse 14, for it will be like a man, the man. Um, the man equals Jesus, okay? That's Jesus. Jesus gives something, goes away for a little bit, comes back, and then the verse that says, um, to settle accounts. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you, right? So Jesus is the man. Um, then there's talents. He gives talents, depending on what your translation is. Um, I read probably 25 pages this week about guys with more degrees in Fahrenheit waxing eloquent about talents. Well, if you equated the gold standard and inflation and then blah, 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 and I was so frustrated because none of them answered anything about it, okay? So a talent is not actually money. This is a picture of what a talent was. A talent was used to weigh money, all right? So that would go on one end of the scale, and then gold or silver, probably silver in Jesus' day, uh, because that was the sort of the main Roman currency, was put on the other scale. And so the fact and the amount that Jesus gives them, like your footnote, the footnote in my Bible says that one talent was worth about 20 years' wages. Um, um, here's the jelly on the bottom shelf. It's a ridiculous amount of money, Okay. The point is not the exact dollar amount. The point is, is that the master is incredibly generous with his servants and gives them uh, a million bucks right before they leave. And then there are actually only two categories of people, not three. There are two servants, or slaves is the better translation, and they are faithful and rewarded. Did you see that in the parable? They're actually rewarded the same. Hmm, that's pretty important to know. They get the same reward. Now, they get different talents. They get a different amount of money, each according to their ability, and, and we'll learn about that, each according to their ability, but they get the same reward. So there's two servants, slaves, that are faithful and rewarded. Then there's that one guy. Right? The one guy who is unfaithful and punished. But there are two main thrusts in this parable, and, 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 and it's really simple today. There's only two points, okay? Doesn't mean the sermon's shorter. It just means there's two points, okay? What we believe about money, or I'm sorry, what we believe about the gospel is revealed in how we behave with our money, okay? So the first point is this. God's the owner. Let us pray, right? God's the owner. Do you see this um, in the parable? Verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, and here it is, entrusted to them his property. And then he starts giving talents. Then verse 18, but then this guy hid his master's money. And then Jesus drops down in verse, 26, or verse 27 and says, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and then was my own interest. The word master is used nine times in this parable. Nine times. Um, in the original language, it's actually translated kairos, which means Lord. It's the same word ascribed to Jesus. Lord, right? Master. Jesus is getting a, a very simple but profound point across that before we get into all of the according to their abilities, all of this, well, how, um, you know, the talent, and then invest, what is that? Before, any, before your mind goes there, we start here. God's the owner. 
God's the owner. And we see this string all through the concept of Scripture. I mean, even from the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And here it is. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. All the fishermen said, amen. Over the birds of the heavens, the hunters were like, all right. Over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let them have dominion. Did you see that little phrase in there? God creates it. God owns it. Creates man and woman in his own image and likeness. And then says, this is now for you. You're not the owner. You're a part of the creation. I'm the creator. And then God carries it on again in Psalm 50. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. No, all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. I had a kid one time in youth group go, "Um, so if I find the thousandth and one hill, is that mine? Oh my God, right? But this is why I love, you know, youth kids because they're honest. You would have never have asked that, but you thought it, right? Um, it's, it's a figure, it's poetry. And God's getting the point across again. And by the way, what was cattle? What was livestock back then? That's your currency. Those are your exchange of goods. So it's not just possessions, but God is also talking about wealth. And then he really breaks it down for us in Haggai chapter 2, verse 8. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Any questions about that one? In the original Hebrew, what mine actually means is, right? But I know what you're saying. I get that, I get that. But buddy, you don't know what kind of life I lived growing up. We didn't have nothing I'm a business owner now. I got a four-wheel drive truck. I worked hard for my money. Nobody gave me anything. Nobody, well, um, I'm, I'm glad, yes, I got a verse for you too. De- Deuteronomy chapter 10. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It's just busting your argument down, right? Just one by one. Hey, hey, by the way, by the way, um, your work ethic and the gifts that you have and that ability to rise above and to make ends meet and to do all that, by the way, God gave you that too. But I know what you're saying now, right? Um, but yeah, well, at least I own myself, my body, my choice, right? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your bodies. We can try to, listen, this is why this sermon comes first in the series. We can try to argue and we can try to get into Excel sheets and all of that, but until you understand this point, nothing else matters. God is the owner of everything, of the breath that is in your lungs to the money that is in your bank account. 
Abraham Kuyper was a famous theologian and a prime minister for a period of time, and his famous words are this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not have the right to cry, that is mine. That is mine. And everybody wants Jesus as Savior, but no one wants Him as Lord. But you cannot have that choice. For if this man rose from the dead, and if he conquered sin, death, hell, and the very gates of darkness, then we must, we must bow the knee. And listen, here's the issue. You should be asking why. Why is God the owner? See, oftentimes in preaching and in our understanding of the Bible, we demand things, but we never give the why. Why is God the owner? Why does Jesus have the sovereign rule and right over any square inch in the cosmos to say that is mine? And actually Hebrews chapter 13 shows us this in one verse. Look at this verse. It says this, keep your life free from money. Is that what it says? Keep your life free from the love of money. Here it is. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, just look at that verse. Can we meditate for a second in church and just look? I just want you to look at that. Why is the word love there? Why is that there? Money's not the issue. You don't have a money problem. Look up here. You don't have a money problem. We have a love problem. That's the problem. Your money and how you behave with it is just the fruit. What you believe about the good news of Jesus Christ, that is the root. The love of money. And so listen, by the way, you can have no money and still love money. Because here's a question. Tim Keller says, how do we find the love of our heart and mind? What do you daydream about? What do you daydream about? When you are free to think and your heart is free to wonder, what do you think about? That is where your love is. And then the writer of Hebrews says, in order to compare and contrast that, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What is that? That's a greater love. So so, so, so here's how we do this. We need a really profound theological way to understand this. And I think Indiana Jones and the Raider of the Lost Ark can really help us with this. Okay? Just follow me. I've used this before. You remember the scene where he's got to swipe the idol, right? It's the very beginning of the movie. He has to um, remove the idol, but he also has got the bag of sand, right? And the guy's over there in the corner going like this, right? It's a great movie. And so he has to remove that idol. Then he has to replace it with that bag of sand because if he doesn't, some bad things are going to happen. So it happens, and then there's this like, we did it, Right? This is a great picture of some of us in our financial life. Got to remove that debt, got to remove that something, got to replace it with something, and now, whew, 
I'm doing good. The problem is, is this next slide is actually what you look like in your financial life. <laughs> oh, right? Why? Because you replaced it with the wrong thing. What I'm speaking of is repentance. That's my goal today. Listen, here's what repentance is. Repentance is removing a lesser love and replacing it with the greater love. That's what repentance is. Listen, that's when real change happens. That's how real change happens. Why am I not controlled by this addiction or this anxiety or this mindset or all of this, that, and the other? Because now my identity and my love has been removed from that and been replaced by something else that can actually sustain that. It's not a money issue. It's a love issue. And the reason why God is the owner, I mean, look at the title of the series, Managing God's Money, right? There's no question here as to what we're understanding. The reason why it's God's money is because God is deserving. And that is the greatest act of love. So if God's the owner, very simple, point number two, I'm the steward. That's it. God's the owner. I'm the steward. Do you look at how it starts in verse 14? For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, doulos, slaves. And then here it is, entrusted to them. Entrusted to them. Do you know what the word entrusted means? Gave them permission. Right? It's like a parent and a small child. Can I go to the bathroom? Yes, you may go to the bathroom, right? That's literally, God's the owner. We are the stewards. So then that changes how, how we handle this. And we see how the first two, right? They're like, whoa, this is a lot of money. And it's not my money. I better do something great with this. And then they're so excited when the master comes back. Look what I've done, right? And I can't imagine that the third person, the third slave, was probably like, um, you know when your pet does something wrong and you come home and they don't greet you at the door? Like, where's Lily? Oh my, right? And then all the donuts are gone or something like that, right? I can't imagine that's probably how this was. Like, oh man, you're back? Goodness, I had no idea you were coming back, man. I'm so, see what had happened was, right? And then it starts, And then in all reality, we realize that it was never our money. There's a difference there. Um, John Wesley and his brother Charles Wesley are are the founders of Methodism. And and John Wesley, his picture hangs in my office. He's a great hero of mine. Um, John Wesley was a great steward and a very disciplined man. And he wrote down in his journal four questions that would forever change how he handled money in his life. And these are so fantastic. The first question that John Wesley wrote was this, in spending this money, am I acting as if I owned it or am I acting as the Lord's trustee? I mean, any other questions need to follow that, right? The second question was this, what scripture requires me to spend this money in this way? 
Third question, can I offer up this purchase as a sacrifice to the Lord? Jesus, look at my Amazon purchase order. Praise be to God, right? And then the last question is this. Will God reward me for this expenditure at the resurrection of the just? That's how serious the issue of money is. Jesus is talking about that when the Lord returns, when the Lord returns, a great way to show how important this is, is a master who gives stewards large portions of money and there's a reward there for how that was handled. Hey, listen, here's a question. How would your life change if you asked yourself these four questions before purchasing anything? I don't care what your budget is. I don't care what your monthly input, output. Listen, I don't care about any of that yet, okay? The point is, it's God's money. We are the stewards. And until we put on that lens of perspective, nothing else will change. It's not a money problem. It's a love problem. Is God good enough? And then we see how serious this actually is. Isn't it interesting? Verse 26. Look at the unfaithful steward's response. I'm sorry, verse 24. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Really? Really? You think so? Because um, question, Jesus challenges him and says, actually, if you thought I was a hard master, you wouldn't have buried that talent. In a way, what Jesus is saying, what's the phrase? Put your money where you're, um, you would have behaved differently. See, it's right there in the text. Jesus says, that's, that's not true. There's no excuses. But listen, here's the main excuse. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Slothful, lazy. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, listen, it's not primarily a money issue. You didn't have a right view of me. Because what we believe about the gospel is revealed in how we behave with our money. And so at the end of the day, listen, here it is. An owner has rights. A steward has a responsibility. We as Christians, and, 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 and if you're on the fence about Christianity, you, you, you don't know about this, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. This is, we, this is awesome. But this is supposed to answer a question that I hope that a non-Christian would have about a Christian. Because I would hope and beg that somebody who is not a follower of Christ, who is close to a member of Westside, would have a question about how they spend their money. That's so odd to me. How generous and how different that you use your money. And then the doorway is open. See, what we always think is that we have to have an answer about, well, how old's the earth? What about dinosaurs? Do you remember that? Well, what about this, that, and the end times? Is this going to happen? Because then when we answer those questions on Facebook and argue with someone, then they will go, I am now saved because you beat me on a Facebook argument. Oh, right? No. But the way in which we live our life should raise questions. So we are not owners. We are stewards. We don't have rights. We have responsibilities. And so I want to close with this. Um, whenever Courtney and I 
sold our first home that we had purchased. It was just a little, man, we were so proud of that little place, man. I could stretch out in every, in, in, in the hallway and be in every room in our house, right? It was barely 800 square feet. It was fantastic, man. And um, we sold that house, and I'll never forget going to the title company, and, and you sign a lot of paper. I thought they were going to have to draw blood or something. Like, I signed a piece of paper that said, I'm Jason. I'm signing this piece of paper, right? It was fantastic. But you sign over a, a deed of ownership. It's not yours anymore. This is no longer your possession. And so today, in order to drive this point home, when you come forward today for communion, there's some music stands. And on the music stand, there is a deed of ownership. It has a date on it. It has a signature and a witness. And here's what the deed of ownership says. I hereby grant and concede to the Lord my God ownership of myself and all, quote, my money and possessions and everything else I've ever imagined belonged to me, including my family and loved ones. Instead of seeing myself as the ultimate recipient, I will see myself as God's delivery boy or girl, enjoying what he intends me to keep and distributing what he intends to go elsewhere. From this point forward, I will think of these assets as to do with as he wishes. I will do my utmost to ask him and to prayerfully consider how he wishes me to invest his assets to further his kingdom. In doing so, I realize I will surrender certain temporary earthly treasures, but gain in exchange eternal treasures, as well as increased perspective and decreased anxiety. All I have is all because of Jesus. I want you to take that today. I want you to sign that. If you've got a family, frame it. I think it looked as a good piece of paper. Frame it, put it up in the house somewhere. Where do you do bills? Put it in your car. Take a screenshot of it. Put it on your phone. Because listen, we will not move anywhere else in this series until we understand this point. God's the owner. I'm the steward. Everything in our life will change from that point forward. And as we come to the table and we see the grace of God given to us and the elements and the body broken and the blood shed, who can lay claim to their life here? Who can lay claim and say, I have a right when we see the Christ who surrendered his upon our behalf? So Westside, let us stand to our feet and let us pray as Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. And then as you take this deed of ownership, we take in our hands the elements. And so Westside, lift up our voice and let us pray as how Christ taught us to pray boldly. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. You may come forward and partake in the elements today as you feel led.